Welcome to the Take Flight podcast with Daniel Johnson, Olu Okanola, Pabilo Timbo and Shurl Ahmed as your hosts. Take Flight is released weekly, giving you behind the scenes business views into multiple industries, as well as highlighting the backstories of entrepreneurs and leaders in their respective spaces. We'll also be breaking down business models, examining the latest trends in business and sharing our learnings along the way like a university business class packaged for a diverse and inclusive audience. We blend this together for a unique and exciting look into the world of business. Join us, your hosts, who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds in the UK, have since worked and traveled to over 100 countries, learned our craft in some of the largest companies in the globe, started our own businesses, as well as invested across multiple asset classes, as we give a unique and inclusive perspective with a mission to help other potential flyers get ready to take flight. Since its start in 2019, Take Flight Podcast has grown to have listeners in over 50 countries and is in the top 5% of podcasts globally and continuing to grow and expand. Come join a growing community and let's help more potential flyers take flight. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. New listeners, welcome And for our loyal listeners, welcome back to Take Flight Podcast. And the time of recording is Tuesday. What I mean by that, it's the 22nd of the 2nd, 2022. But we'll let that pass and we'll continue into the episode. Just thought I'd give you that sort of random fun fact. And I'm sure and I hope you all made your Tuesday very eventful. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Peloton. In 2020, when the pandemic kept gym goers at home, Peloton sales soared and its stock was going through the roof. It soared 400%, making it Nasdaq's second top performance stock of 2020 and was considered to be one of 2021's most influential companies. However, like many of its bike users, it had a tough ride as of late. So what's really been going on? In this episode, we'll be discussing where it all went wrong for Peloton. Was the pandemic a blessing or a curse, or was it both? What's next for them, and how can they turn this all around? So make sure you stay tuned to listen to this insightful episode on Peloton, The Wild Ride. So guys, first of all, before we get into the meat of this topic... I want to do a quick round robin of how everyone is doing. Uh, I'll start with you, P. Pab, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm always good. Um, I'm well. Work's good. Business is good. Family's well. Karim's growing. Yeah, nothing Nothing to complain about. All good. All good. Good to hear. That's good. Olu, you? Same. Looking fresh. Nice setup. Less, less HD. favoured. Um, yeah, no. A few changes happening career-wise um hopefully i can share some good news in the next few weeks um but yeah really excited new challenge in regards to work life is good i'm healthy um hopefully i get to see shiwal and daniel um this week so that'll be good for us to catch up it feels like whenever we meet up he's just never there Need this he private just, jet. I keep saying, yeah. you need to figure out ways to. Yeah, if there's any, you know, if there's any um, aviation companies listening to this, and you're looking to sponsor Take Flight and you know provide travel expenses covered, then you know you know who to call. 
Well, for anyone who's watched Tinder Swin, if anyone who's watched Tinder Swin, you can ask them, Simon Levine. <laughs> if you could take, if you could take Key on his on his jet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I'm and, good. Uh, I'm, I'm good. That's good. Play. And last but not least, uh, Shua, how are you? Yeah, I mean, just you know, just one quick remark for the listeners who may not be able to see this. Olu, your skin is glowing, bro. I know we were talking about the the sponsorships, but the Coco Bar, if you're listening to this, we've got another sponsorship <laughs> opportunity because the, the skin is glowing. Pete's hating at the bottom. He's I, just, hating. I, I just have to say, no, I'm never hating. I'm never hating. I just try to put facts on the table. You're just mm. not as glowing as much as last time. So I don't know what you've done. Because I'm using, I'm not using my camera this time. Ah, I'm it's using the camera. Just, okay, uh, cool. not, yeah, it's the camera. It's the skin, obviously, but yeah, the camera is... <laughs> <All right, cool. laughs> yeah, you're, you're not using your camera? Share butter, cocoa butter. Nah, because the battery dies, so I'm using my, the camera on my laptop. Oh, well, whatever bar you're using, if there's any companies, you know, moisturizing companies, Vaseline. you want to sponsor us, we, we, yeah, we're, we're ready. Us. But Oli, Oli's already Allah. ready. But no, <laughs> on my side, all, all good. I think actually by the time this episode comes, I'll have the, hopefully the opportunity to catch up with Daniel and Olu and also catching up with, with P because I'm planning a, a weekend trip to Switzerland again for another, another ski trip, Olu. So I'm serious about it. It's not a one-time, one-time thing. Yo, which weekend? <laughs> Wait, by the time this episode, by the time this episode airs, I would have already gone there and back. It's this weekend. I'm down. I'm down if you. I, I'll share the details. We'll talk about it. We'll share the details. Right, I'm cool. down. Right, I'm well, down this weekend. If anyone follows either of them on Instagram, stay tuned. And if you see any pictures uploaded on Instagram where Olu is skiing, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, how about yourself? Oh, thanks for asking. I thought no one would care. Um, now I'm I'm doing good. Um, since the last time we recorded, I'm back to work from my initial four weeks of paternity. So I've at time of recording, I'm in through a week and two days of being, being back to work. Thoroughly enjoying the new role. Um, really into the thick of things, and really you know you know finding finding my feet very fast and having an impact already, which is good. Um, it's, it's really good to be made an impact from day one. Um, it's good to really have been well people have been excited about me joining maybe because that's all the work they're going to give me or the impact <laughs> i'm going to make but nevertheless i'm looking forward to it um yeah so far so good really enjoying the company um and really looking forward to the opportunities that will be coming my way in the coming weeks and months for sure that, that and on like, a personal front like sound like a pay increase is coming soon <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why Daniel was asking you know the questions he was asking in the group chat, right? There's some, there's some big play coming. I can tell. Mm. <laughs> Facts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, sure. No, I was actually gonna. Um, no, but Daniel, you're going to talk on the personal front very quickly. On the personal front, family's doing good. Baby's growing. Really enjoying being a dad. Uh, hats off to to my wife Melissa. She's been doing an incredible job, especially with me being back to work. Um, so I, I I can't I can't complain. I'm I'm really fortunate and blessed. I actually thought you were going to say hats off to other dads as well. But <laughs> well, actually, no, actually uh, P, what, P, what, P, what you comment. actually said made that's, sense. I just I was actually, I was actually about to come in and smile and say, "Oh, thanks, Daniel." It, it didn't come. It didn't come. Go ahead, no, sure, actually, go ahead. No, no, just P. That is the perfect window for what I was going to ask because I was going to ask Daniel. Daniel, how does it feel like being a man of integrity and going back to work after four weeks? <laughs> when I read that, when I read that story, I said, "Yeah, 
Is that what he's on? <laughs> P, P, why don't you explain that to the... For context, let's set some context. For context, so a few weeks ago on Instagram, I was just sharing, you know, of course, that um, our son had arrived and my company offers 18 weeks paternity. And I was I put in, in like, a, at the bottom saying, as a man of integrity, I didn't... As a man of integrity, I didn't take up the full 18 weeks up front. So P slides into my DM like... Is it? <laughs> and for, for for those who don't know, so when when Pab had his um his son, Pab took off you know five months of paternity, so the the eighteen weeks let's say, and so he was like, what? So I'm not a man of integrity. Basically trying to say I was I was firing shots, but there are I subs, had to explain to him subs, Daniel subs. <laughs> Mate, that one, I that to, one, but I had to explain what I meant deep. was deep. What, what I was explaining was because I started the company. It wouldn't be fair for me to take five months initially from just I start one week and I, I disappear for five months. That's what I meant. So that was the context in what I meant, rather than saying, even, "Oh, he wasn't even thinking about oh who who's taking eighteen weeks." Let me maybe word it a little bit different. He just went bam, send. And I think it went, when Daniel wrote integrity, it was all in caps as well, right? The whole thing was in caps. The whole thing was in caps. <laughs> don't try, sure, sure, don't try. The whole thing was in caps. The whole text was in caps. The only thing you were missing was tagging Pabilo. <laughs> but you know, funny, funny we say that. I think there was, um, I can't remember exactly who, but there was a, uh, I don't know if you call it prolific, but there was a CEO that came out and said, any father that takes off yeah. six, uh, well, paternity leave for three months is basically not a, not a real man or can't be considered it was to be from, like a real business. I think it was Joe Rogan. They were doing like, a, he came out and said, like, any guy with any, like, that's running any purposeful business or, has any purpose would never take that amount of time off um, was what he was trying to insinuate. Um, but yeah, Chimath, I think some other people also came That's in it. and Correct. also did uh, mention as well. Just to, okay. just to do a quick, just to do a very quick clarification and fact check. It actually wasn't Joe Rogan. It was an American guy, but it was hmm. a guy who's in the, the, I think the VC space, but it wasn't Joe yeah. Rogan. I think he said he mentioned. It was, I think he well. might have spoken about it, but it was the yeah, VC guy he, that actually. I think it VC up. guy first mentioned it, yeah. and then Joe Rogan agreed, or he said he can understand that as well. Chimaf also, I think, came out and said on his podcast as well, and some other people. I think in the end, it, it came down to first of all, it depends on the actual father himself, but it also, I think, mm -hmm. they were leaning to the the VC person was speaking from a standpoint. If you hold, if you hold a very important role in a company, especially in a startup, you mm -hmm. can't then just leave for six months. Because your startup and the business and associates need you, so I think it depends also on the position that you're playing within this company. Um, For sure. Yeah. So, so, so if you're not playing a good position, you can take the five months straight. Let's just say, let's just say, I've engineered certain moves to allow for certain safety. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, about That's what I was okay, saying. So, so let, let's move on to today's topic. Smart work. Um, smart work. Smart work. And. The topic is Peloton, the wild ride. And why I thought it would be quite interesting to bring this conversation to the podcast and to our listeners is Peloton's been, is, I think their profile has certainly grown over the last two years um, for those who may not even have a product, um, the Peloton product. So for those who don't know, Peloton is a product where they have a Peloton bike and also a Peloton treadmill. They also have a digital subscription where you can do on-demand classes and also do scheduled classes. And you can also do it with friends, high five people. It creates a sense of community. You have different instructors with different music playing to, depending on your appetite for music, 
you can select a class that may be playing R&B, hip hop, uh, dance, trance, or whatever it may be, just to get your juices flowing. But I, why, why I brought this 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 topic to to the podcast was, it's really been on a turbulent in turbulent times as of late, and we all know that during the 2020, and as I alluded to in the beginning of the episode, its stock price, its sales soared. Stock price went up by 400%. Being one of Nasdaq's best performing um, stocks, best performing companies. But as of late, it's had a lot of negative or bad press. The share price has fluctuated. There's been some negative media attention. There's also been a change in management. And I thought it would be interesting just to dive down, dive a little deeper into some of those points and to see where we think what the future holds for Peloton. So just to provide some context and some information, as as of as of February the 8th, um, Peloton went through and changed its CEO. So John Foley, Foley, who was the founder of Peloton, um, left his position as CEO, and Barry McCarthy was unfolded as a new chief executive. However, Foley stayed on as an executive chair. <clears throat> and prior to uh, McCarthy coming in as CEO, there was some though there was a particular investor who was calling for Peloton to be sold and for Foley to be Foley to be fired um, just because of the performance of how Peloton was and the fact that it lost $40 billion worth of shareholders' money in a short space of time. Additionally, the media attention that it's had in the last couple of years hasn't been so good. I think it was in 2020 or 2021, I can't remember, but there was unfortunate, a tragic death of a, of a child who got caught in the Peloton tread which called for Peloton treads to be recalled and additional disclaimers and safety announcements made by every instructor before every class. In, 20, in December 2021, um, HBO's reboot of Sex and the City caused the price of Peloton to drop 11%, which is the lowest it has over the past year. And just to provide what happened in that episode, so one of the characters... Um, I don't know. I don't watch Sex and the City. I don't know the names. I know Sarah Jane or whatever the real name is. Mr. Big. <clears throat> so Mr. Big in the episode. Thanks, Holly. He was, I think he was being praised for his post-pandemic body. And he was saying, oh, I have a wonderful trainer. She's from Barcelona. And saying that he enjoys the rides and the workouts. And he was preparing for his thousand, his 1,000th ride. And for anyone who's used to Peloton, they like to give you achievements and, you know, shout outs in the classes when you reach your like 50th ride, 100th ride, etc. And he was approaching his 1,000th ride. And on his 1,000th ride, he actually had a heart attack and died. Of course, this is fiction. This isn't reality show. This isn't reality, but it's fiction. But just because of that event, Peloton's price dropped 11%. They tried to limit damage do um damage control and they got the character that played mr big to do an advert for peloton only for days later it was announced he was being accused of sexual harassment or sexual assault they then had to pull the advert so it was like they're just digging a bigger hole for themselves in addition to that i won't actually let me stop there i've kind of provided the context of other things that have happened but I want to ask from your guys' view, from your sort of back, your your digging around this topic. What, where did it all go wrong for Peloton? Was the pandemic a blessing and a curse? Was it both, or, or what do you think? I have my views, but I want to sort of pause on my on, on my thoughts for now, and maybe gather your thoughts on this. How many? There's four people on this podcast, so I guess we can ask the question. 
Does anyone own a Peloton? I have a digital subscription. Okay. But I don't you, have a Peloton have the or Peloton bike. No. You don't have the bike, so you've got to... So what do you get with the subs- subscription without the hardware? So there's a quite a hack. So, for example, if you had a bike, a decent quality bike, you could use your iPad, mount it on, do the digital subscription, still do the same class, but on a cheaper bike. Similarly with a treadmill. You could go to but a gym. Won't give, will it give you the... I guess there's an element of it that it doesn't give you the community element. It doesn't track sort of the... The digital element of the bike in terms of your speed, it, it, how you're doing. Do, in terms no, of the yeah, class. so, so yeah, I guess it doesn't track that element. But if you, for mm-hmm. example, had a, a wearable device like an Apple Watch, you could still maybe do so. It maybe wouldn't be as accurate as the bike, mm-hmm. but you could still track your 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 performance and effort in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Similarly, with a treadmill, you could put the iPad on and then do one of the workouts and use the same speeds that they offer and the same mm-hmm. um, it, same incline. But also the digital app, the digital app also allows you to do things like um, yoga, Pilates, uh, any high intensity workouts, weights workouts, etc. So I guess there's there's an added benefit for doing a digital subscription, which you can also use if you're, you like to travel a lot and you can still do workouts. Where, whereas if you have the hardware, you're limited to that space or wherever it, wherever it lives. Makes sense. I think for me, look, I think it started from won the business, right? I feel like Peloton is a niche product. And what I mean about that is um, how big can the market really get, right? It's um, like we mentioned, it's really a web-connected hardware. It could be a bike, um, treadmill, which is connected to these live classes, um, which you allow to create these particular um, communities. I think firstly, you look at the desire, right? How many people are really going to desire to purchase a bike for over £2,000, right? That's the first element. So by having that niche, you're already reducing your your market share. Also, the space element of it. I think during the lockdown, a lot of people were at home, but there's also a big restriction in, I know, in a lot of central um, cities such as London, um, New York, where you might not have the space for that particular um, bike. And then lastly, is really around the affordability. I think the pandemic was uh, a blessing and a, um, and a also, I would say, the main reason why Peloton failed. If we look at how much they increased their market capital during that period of time, I believe in the beginning of late of 2019, it was a seven billion, eight billion, billion company, right? And by the end of the sort of late twenty twenty, it was a fifty billion company, right? So you're going to ask the question: What changed in that period of period of time? It was the pandemic, right? Gyms were closed, people were at home. But like so many companies, which people class as pandemic companies, we were never going to stay locked up for the foreseeable future, right? Everyone knew gyms were closed for a period of time. As soon as gyms start to open, people will start working out back in the gym. I think that was the the common sense assumption that you would have made. I think what the business did is, because they had such a high demand, they started to spend quite recklessly. And what I mean about that is, 
they started to see a lot of orders, a lot of revenue come out. And to be able to meet that demand, they started to say, okay, we need more factories, more delivery, more money on logistics, and became so base cost or expense heavy that when that demand dropped, it just did not become a viable company, right? And I think that's one of the the curses of growing too quick, right? It increased by such a large percentage. I think it increased by 172% um, sort of sales in such a short period of time that you've got to ask yourself, is this scalable and is this realistic, right? I think Peloton was a great trade, right? <laughs> For people that did invest in that business. But for my or from history's sake, anything that goes up that quickly typically bursts at some period of time. You can look at it through cryptocurrency. You can look at it through other investments. Whenever there's a rapid spike over a period of time, it typically declines afterwards. So just to go back to your, your, your initial question, I think the biggest um, sort of failing away started was they weren't able to scale up their business in a sustainable way um, when they saw the increase during the pandemic. Um, I would say that was their biggest failing. Um, and I don't believe they had the right executive team um, if we're going there, right? I think the the leadership wasn't the best. Um, he hired a lot of family, friends, partners in a lot of his wife. roles. <laughs> his wife, right, was... Um, in charge of one of the was one of the vice presidents um and yeah that's really where the failing lies i would it'll be good to hear what the other guys think sure over to you so um it's interesting going into it i had this perception of peloton because of what we hear in the media and that perception was almost quite i mean it was a negative perception i thought it's probably a poorly run business um the product just sounds like it's a bit clunky. But then digging into it, it made me change my perspective. And I'll explain in a little bit why. But actually, Daniel, I had a question for you first to throw it back a little bit at you. Because you're the you're the only person in our group that has some type of Peloton product. In this case, you have the subscription. As a consumer to that product, how has that experience been? I'll be honest with you. I had the product because it was free for six months. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was during the pandemic. It was actually my healthcare provider, Vitality, offering a free six-month um, digital subscription if you mm -hmm. signed up before December 2020, which I did. And I actually extended it for a bit, but I've paused it for, uh, momentarily. Um, but I actually found it a good I found it a good experience, but I also found it was it was a good motivator, mm. especially when I'm someone who likes to work out with music, but it just gave me a different variety where I wasn't having to think of the tracks. Mm. It also added a bit more motivation. I wasn't doing cl scheduled classes. So what are scheduled classes? is where it's a live class where your trainer's there at the same time. You have other people virtually or in the actual Peloton room, mm. which is another thing that you would add is pre-pandemic, the Peloton classes were in person. So you'd go in, you could use a Peloton tread like you would in a gym, say a, 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 a cycle, spin cycle class, and you'll do it, log into your account and you will cycle for whoever signed up. And of course you'll have people who are doing it remotely. Um, but I actually thought it was quite nice just to have you, you found an I found an instructor which I liked. I liked Jess Sims. She was good. Mm -hmm. She had decent music, good motivating, made it good intensity, and also a guy called Adrian. Um, mm -hmm. Good music again. 
was, you know, made it quite enjoyable. And I knew what to expect from their class that it was going to push me. It wasn't just a low impact, low intensity. It was actually one that's going to make me sweat, make me pause, make me break. Um, so, yeah, I, I found it as a good experience digitally. Uh, just for those who are unaware, uh, a, a monthly digital subscription is $39. No, sorry. It was around £12, I think. But in terms of the pandemic in the US, a monthly subscription was $39. And that more than doubled to $1.7 million. Um, and signups for its cheaper cheaper digital fitness during the pandemic itself. So it jumped tenfold um, in in a very short space of time. So so I, I I love to hear that Daniel because actually through this research I probably am more inclined to try the Peloton machine. And I think going back to the question, what was interesting for me is your experience. You got it for free. You've mentioned that you've paused it, but you haven't cancelled it. So clearly there's some value in that subscription that you've enjoyed. And I think. I know Olu mentioned that it's quite a niche market, but when, when I was digging into it, and I think the market that they're looking for, so if we start with the market overall, they are trying to target the global wellness spending market, which at the moment, the total addressable market is $4.2 trillion. And specifically fitness, which is the part that Peloton is in, is $600 billion. And this is globally. So that's let's assume that's the overall market. Now, at the moment today, in the US alone, there are 74 million people who go to the gyms just in the United States. So if you assume that you were to get a portion of that, that instead of going to the gym, they would be up for signing up for this membership where they can train anywhere that they want, or they have this device as well at home that they can train together with. There is not there's a, there is an opportunity there just in the US alone, 74 million people, and then globally $600 billion in terms of the market size. Now, at the moment, Peloton has only focused on US, Canada, UK, Germany, and Australia. They're kind of the main existing markets. And just based on those five markets alone, they've been able to get just over 2 million subscribers. And that piece is an interesting piece because the subscribers makes up about 25% of their business today. And then the 75% is driven by the actual bike sales, the machine sales. And specifically just on the subscriber base of that 2 million, what's great about that is that it's a recurring revenue stream, similar to Netflix, similar to Disney plus. And the margin on that is very high because an additional subscriber on software, the margin is a lot better versus a hardware device. Um, I think at the moment their churn, so specifically for subscribers, for subscriptions, especially in the tech space, they look at the churn in terms of how many people drop off. And I think using Daniel as an example as well, the, the Peloton subscription churn rate is very low compared to other similar um, services that are being offered. So I think combined, that subscription business puts a strong position for them, 2 million out of potentially 70 million, and that's just in the US. And I think the hardware piece, what was interesting about the hardware, and I listened to this, there's a great podcast called How I Built This. It's a guy called Guy Raz that does it, and he interviews founders. And there was an interview with John Foley, who's the CEO, and he talked about the pricing of the bike. And at the beginning, when they priced it, they priced it at around $1,500. And at that point, they actually couldn't sell that many. But then when they increased it to 2500 they started to get more sales. And then in terms of the selling as well, they weren't getting so much success selling it online, but having specific stores where people could jump on the bike, ride on it in affluent areas where there was retail space also generated some sales as well. So I think all of those components actually made me think this is a great business, but the piece where they messed up is really on the execution and the operational piece, which maybe we can talk about in more detail later on. But I think Should going I back just, to... Um, 
yeah some questions gonna... on what you just mentioned mm -hmm. um just um so i think you first you started about sort of their their market the market yeah. that they were going after i think one of the big things peloton was priced as a growth business mm -hmm. right a rapid growth business and initially they said that they wanted around 45 million um subscribers was what they were looking in the us right and even starting with that number where the majority of those people are going to be purchasing a hardware because peloton software is especially on the device is closed is a closed mm -hmm. software is only on the devices that you can on the devices it doesn't have an ipad it's got like a peloton software and device on them so for me, that initial price of or saying that they're going to go through for 45 million of the market share, I don't just believe that's realistic because you're facing, like I mentioned before, how many people want to purchase like an exercise bike or a treadmill at home? Mm -hmm. How many people have the space? And then also how many people can even afford to buy this in, in, their, in their home? Mm -hmm. By having those different barriers, you can't just look at that total market of how many people are in the wellness space because so many people of them, so many of them are cut off based on the fact that they can't afford that sort of bike. Mm. And then I think going back to sort of what you're talking about subscription, I do believe that their best elements and where they should focus most of their time is on the subscription and on the software. The problem, and I'm not sure Daniel's the only one that's obviously used it, is due to the fact that their their software and their device and is very close is a closed service you weren't able to connect it to other bikes you weren't able to connect it to other equipments which then the big peloton element of it is that community element right i've gone to the gym before and i've gone to one of those exercise size um classes where you have your name on the board and you could it's like that competition that competitive element of that and for me i personally and this is obviously my opinion is is it a seven billion pound um, dollar company? Maybe so, but I don't think it should have ever got to the point of the fifty million. And maybe that's what we're just seeing right now is a revaluation and people realizing that okay, the pandemic, same that we've seen with Zoom and some other companies, the pandemic drove up a lot of demand, and really this is only a ten billion company, which is not a bad thing, right? It's just. Is it a 50 million, 100, million, um, 100 billion company? I don't particularly think so, based on the, the niche element of the product. Pete, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to add, actually, because I think I think everybody's mentioning some great points and some really good insights. Um, I, I believe, I wanted to just start off by saying, I think the product is fantastic. The business is questionable. It's very expensive to run. Um, and we're seeing that now as things are starting to unfold. One of, but one of the things that I... I noticed when looking at, when listening to some of the users that actually have Peloton bikes is how they've done a really good job in creating a movement and personalizing these sessions. If I kind of liken that to what we're doing in the pharma side, in the pharmaceutical industry, we're moving to a model whereby we're trying to personalize our content with doctors. So I, I saw power in, in what they're trying to do from that standpoint. And I think, Daniel, you even mentioned this, right? There are some instructors that you know by name. And that is pulling you towards keeping the, the the subscription model and things of that nature. So, I think it's I think this whole topic is like the rise and fall of the Pelican Peloton bike, and some of these pieces here are to Shaw's point make it a good product. The business side of things um, is is different. One challenge maybe that I would just perhaps um, add and we can we can circle back. I think one of the biggest things 
um, you've all kind of touched upon it, but it's just underestimating how the demand was going to work during this period. So there was kind of this assumption that when I, b- I believe... Oh, PP, you're getting ahead of yourself here. You're getting ahead of yourself. We're going to get into that. No, no, it might be a good segue. So, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. Do you want to dive into it now or do you want to... No, no, we, we, we can dive into it. No, I think I think when we look at the, the, the big... One of the challenges that they're facing today is um, not forecasting the, the demand properly. So I've got the impression that during the pandemic, they were kind of the only ones operating in this space and kind of the main main known brand and there was kind of this assumption that this is going to continue and I think Oli you mentioned this in your opening um, speech that it's it's silly to to assume that this will continue in addition to that you've then got competitors coming into the space so you got and they're competing with live studio gym sessions because now people are going to go in person to work out again premium gym memberships and then you've got other companies like Mirror, Tonal who have kind of replicated some of the products so now the Peloton bike is actually not the only product in its form. So I think it's, it's what I'm picking up is that they've kind of not, they've underestimated all of these pieces, the competition, the demand, and it's all kind of unfolding at, at, at the same time, which is, which is leading to some of the challenges. No, I definitely agree. And I think Peloton, for what it's worth, was like a, it was like a name, it was like a brand. It's like, yeah, I have a Peloton. You felt like you carried, it carried some sort of prestige, some status that you could afford uh, a two and a half thousand pound bike or a two thousand pound treadmill is like, oh wow but you know similar to Oli's point as he mentioned at the beginning it's a niche product because before you even buy the product you have to like fitness and when you like fitness you, you need to have enough space if you have enough space you then need to be able to afford it mm-hmm. and then once you can afford it you you have to want to buy it so really which type of the market you're going after you go into the ones that can say yeah I can afford a Peloton. I can afford this bike. I have enough space in my house. And I'll be, I'll be, I'll be real with you. I saw one guy set up on um, on Instagram after I was following one of one of the instructors. And he had it nice. He had one big, like, cinema screen. Cool. He had two treadmills and two bikes. Because the thing is, if you've got a spouse, partner, or what, or whatever you're, 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 you're trying to do, you're trying to work out with, if you've got one bike, only one of you can work out at a time. You can't compete with one another. So you then have to buy two products. So if I want to now work out with Melissa at the same time, to rather than say, oh, it's going to be a two-hour, we have to you know, wait for two hours, so I get an hour, you get an hour. We have to buy two products, so we do two hours in one hour. But he had a good setup, I'll, t- I'll give you that. It was nice. <laughs> Daniel, just, just to what you're speaking today, and I'm going to tie in with what she was mentioning, because I think, sure you've done a great job in showing us the pie that they can go after. But when you look at the marketing strategy and what they've done so far, because this is something they're going to have to think about moving forward, is they've only really marketed to high-end users or customers. If you look at the advertisement, they've had sort of, they've had uh, pushback on the fact that they're only market like the Peloton bike is in state-of-the-art type of apartments, expensive homes. So you spoke about that opportunity pie, but it's a lot smaller if they're only going after people that can actually afford the bike. But it's not even afford the bike; it's almost like you can afford it, but also there's a level of affluence as well. So it's, it's Daniel, what you just spoke about now, this person clearly has got um, a lot of resources to set up it in such a way. So yeah. the question now is, how do you basically work on the marketing to widen right, your customer base? Because right now, it very much fits those who are in that yeah. affluent sense. Yeah, yes and no. But the great thing, what the pandemic uh, allowed Peloton to do was with us, with the issuance of, of stimulus checks it meant that people had an extra two grand easily so it's like okay i've got two grand in my pocket 
I'm now going to buy something that I maybe couldn't have afforded before and just mm. blow it. You know, really and truly, I'm in. A, I'm, I'm locked up. What can I spend the money on? What can I spend a stimulus check on? So Peloton were quite clever in what they did. So back, you know, zooming out slightly. So at the beginning, they went from having too little stock to having too much stock. Mm-hmm. And as Oli was saying, they got so... They got so, ex- let's put it this way. They got like a kid in a candy store. They got so excited. Yeah, we're going to get another factory. We're going to get more delivery drivers. We're going to do all of this. But they weren't thinking about long-term when this growth, or even if there was market saturation, what happens when it dries up? And initially, there was a long lead time to receive a Peloton bike. I think it was about six weeks or so, four weeks. And then it, it got turned down to a week. 14 weeks. 14 uh, weeks, uh, yeah. Yeah, at one point, yeah. Then, then it then the turnaround time was like an hour. You could order it now, and then it'll be at your front door in an hour. So clearly, they 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 managed that and got that right. But what happened is, as even when people were returning them or there was a problem with the bike, they wouldn't fix it. They just give them a new one. That's how much they were getting in their in their in their warehouses. And when they started to realize that okay, their problem was keeping up with demand. Soon it was struggling to keep up with the pace of investors' expectations. So to feed the beast, they said, the company needed to continue showing growth. And because the growth of the company began to drink its own Kool-Aid, it believed it would last forever. But the thing is, that growth slowed down. Stock was still high. They were quite clever in the fact of they started, they then implemented a strategy where we're going to cut the cost of the bike by 20% which would now attract those who maybe thought about it, but it was the, the the barrier to entry was the price. Thought, okay, I can now buy it. And it worked quite well because sales spiked. It increased when they cut the cost of the bike by 20%. And it was tremendously successful. But I think where some of those profits may have been eaten was in the advertisements. But nevertheless, it worked. And it showed investors that sales growth was going well, but then it slowed mm. down. Mm. And that's when the stock price began to tank. And that's when there was some sort of internal documentation which said, we're going to need to halt uh, production of the bikes for about six weeks or so. And when that leaked, that's when people were then calling, investors were calling for, for John Foley to be fired, for Peloton to be sold, because clearly there was something that was going on internally that they were just getting too excited trigger happy let's order all of this let's ramp up production but really intriguing like Oli said earlier when we are allowed out again when you're real when when you think about it your product isn't covid proof you've mm-hmm. got you've got uh, your product is hardware it's not software and I, I i would liken that to zoom so zoom of course we all know during the pandemic it's it shot up the use went high and of course they you know maybe got some more developers to, ha- to handle traffic but there wasn't a physical product where they couldn't necessarily forecast or have an issue with forecasting. So Zoom's problem, Zoom's problems weren't the same as Peloton. Yes, it, it increased, but their strategy could be slightly different. You know, you can do you can hire developers on a contract basis. You can do fixed term contracts and so on and so forth. But with a product, once you've manufactured it, you need to sell it. Otherwise, you're just sitting on dead stock. Yeah. So I think that's and where and especially they if you're building, and especially if you're investing in 400, 500 million on factories building factories as well yeah to manufacture more which is mm. gonna have an impact on your capex etc and yeah no for sure um, and then we're gonna yeah go on, go on just no just quickly on that one then although they they took the action to um cut prices because i think even one subscription went from 39 dollars to 14 dollars 
So, so that drives top line. But because they've got high fixed costs and the, inf- the business model is super expensive, the profits are still compromised. So in the end, it's it's not like it's a full, it's a positive picture all round. And investors obviously saw this from top to bottom. So it's not um, possible all round, but it was, especially it was, it was when, better. Especially when the growth drops down, because I think a lot of growth companies, right, people don't really worry about the cash and they don't really worry about the net profit in the early days. What you want to see is what is the multiple on your orders and sales, right? The top mm-hmm. line is what people start to look at. But the moment that stops or slows down, people then start to say, okay, how profitable are you, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the same thing that's going on with like Netflix and other some other companies as well. It's like, as soon as we start to see a certain mm-hmm. slowdown in your top line, revenue orders, we then start to look at how profitable you are, which is why now that they've got the new CEO, and I'm not sure, Daniel, are we switching to like what we expect next or do you want to? Yeah, I, th- I think we can transition to, you know, what, what's next for them. And mm. how can they potentially turn this around? We, we all and know that the, they haven't sold the business, but, you know, mm. what, what do you think? And I think the first step is they just need to manage their cost. And we've seen some new announcements with a new CEO, right, coming out where it says the factory that we said we we're going to build, that's scrapped, that's cancelled, right? Um, we've seen it with restructuring headcount-wise. So they need to start to become as lean as possible. And it was, a, it's, it's the tough decisions that you need to make. But I was thinking about this from a point of view of if I was in the position of the previous CEO, right? What would I have done at that particular moment? Because I'm seeing crazy amount of demand, low lead time. I probably would have tried to optimize and gain as much market share as possible because there's such a high demand. The only thing I would have probably done differently was not to make them sort of fixed sort of cost. I would outsource contractors, make it as lean as possible that when the demand stops, you can stop paying that third party. I probably would outsource it versus trying to build my own factory. Mm. I think they moved to like a new office in New York or somewhere like that, some prime real estate. I would have tried to stay as lean as possible and just have different third party levers that I can increase and decrease based on demand. But yeah, I think the first thing they need to do is focus on um, cutting their cost. I think second thing they need to do, which I think Shawal mentioned, which I really liked about their business plan, is to focus more on their software. And I think the attractive part of their software is the fact that it's a reoccurring revenue. So they need to figure out how do they get more people subscribed. Um, I think with their Peloton device, right now is closed software. So you can't add other applications there this could be their opportunity to try and create some sort of fitness ecosystem. So you can let third party people create applications, which can be put onto the Peloton, similar to like an iPhone, right? When they created the app store, they created their own sort of um, app store ecosystem. They could do this, something similar for fitness. Um, I think because of the fact that they've been able to build such a large um, community and brand, they can also look to partner with some of the um, sort of apparel retails like Adidas, potentially Nike. And that could be a, a partnership where they can have fitness, their brand on retail items, jumpers, hmm. tracksuit bottoms, trainers, et cetera. That could be a whole different market that they move to. Um, yeah, I think those would be sort of my initial sort of place if I was thinking about next steps. Yeah, maybe I can I can um, come in and I can piggyback a bit on, on Oli. I think... 
so, so I think also with this discussion, I think we're probably all in agreement that it's a great product, but the operational side of the business hasn't been great. And I think this business is still in the grand scheme of things quite a young business as well. It's only been around what eight to ten years, and to be already in the billion, yep. billion, billion plus uh, categories, I think is, is a remarkable achievement alone. Mm-hmm. I think just building on that, maybe things that they can be better. I, I know we were discussing a bit about the price and potentially reducing the price. I actually think the challenge that they did. Well, the challenge that they had is they weren't weren't clear on what their go-to market strategy was because they started off at the high price point and then they weren't sure and they reduced. Whereas, for example, yes, the price is high and you may not be able to access all the market, but there was a period of time when iPhone for $1,000 would have seemed crazy. But now a lot of people have the iPhone because they stuck to it. It's a luxury product. They knew the service that they were offering and they were clear on the market that they were targeting. Now, for Peloton to start off at $2,000, reduce down to $1,000, that is just inconsistent. And for a business, that's difficult to plan. The subscription to start at $39 to reduce to $14, again, I think it, it, it speaks a lot about the inconsistency in their strategy. And probably if they stuck with one, they may have had more success, but who knows. But this is something I think the new CEO is clarifying with regards to the price. I think the... The demand piece with any hardware device is impossible to plan. And I think, Olu, you mentioned the new CEO has come in and actually they've decided that they've already created enough Pelotons to last them for the foreseeable future, how long that is. But essentially means we built too many and we don't need to make any more for quite a while. That in itself, I think, sends a signal that they can produce, but they produce too much and probably they need to get rid of the stock. And that's something that I guess the CEO will focus on as well. And probably the, the last point I just wanted to mention regarding the cost discipline. And this was really interesting reading about this. So if you look at the the SGNA expenses for, for Peloton and um, you look at the employee growth, as they are a startup, you can imagine that employee growth continues to increase a lot. But the SGNA costs have nearly tripled in the last few years. And specifically, just to give a number um, with regards to the number of employees that they have, if you look at revenue per employee for Peloton, it's at $470,000, right? Now, if you compare that to other subscription businesses, for example, Netflix, Netflix, for every employee that they have, is generating $2.9 million. Spotify, for every employee that they have, has $2.4 million revenue. And Peloton, just to recap again, per employee has $470,000 worth of revenue. So that probably shows that they've hired too quickly. The top line hasn't increased, I think, speaking a bit to Olu's point. Um, but these are all things that operationally, if they sort out, they can get the business back on track. Is it going to be a $50 billion business again? Probably, I'm not sure. That's quite a stretch, but it can probably increase um, to where, from where it is today. The, just the last comment that I would make, just regarding the CEO as well, who's come in. This is a guy who's got a proven track record as a CFO in Spotify and the CFO of Netflix. And he's a guy who, in his career, from what I've read, has always been the adult in the room almost around all these tech entrepreneurs who want to grow the business massively. So you have a guy like that who's come in, who can clean up shop, get everything lean to then grow again. Um, I think it's actually an exciting time. Am I going to invest in this company? Nah. You're not gonna buy the dip. <laughs> you're not gonna buy the dip. <laughs> um, sure. No. Your, well, your last point that you mentioned, I thought that was really interesting. The fact that he was previously a CFO, so he's a numbers person and someone that's most likely more disciplined than the potential visionary who's like, spend, 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 build, build, build. I have this vision. No, but, it's, but, it's probably what they needed. But yeah. on that, just a quick one. 
I don't know if you could get the top line growing through optimizing spend. You need to eventually invest to grow the top line, right? So I don't know if the right balance is cutting costs all the time. Probably he needs to cut costs to then invest in the future. So I don't uh, believe the, the issue. So the reason why they're cutting costs, I agree with you. You need to invest to be able to increase your top line. But I think the issue is the scale or the speed in which you invest, right? And that was the issue with Peloton. It wasn't the fact that, and the investment is not on innovation, right? We're not talking about R&D um, um, spend, which is potentially going to drive innovation, potentially new product lines, which will increase the top line. We're talking about, hey, how do we fund this particular plant factory, right? Someone with finance background will say, hey, we don't want this on our book because it's going to have a capex and depreciate this amount of time. Instead of us building this nice one, maybe let's outsource it. Like those are different, I think, conversations. But I totally agree. You need to invest definitely to grow your top line. The, the only thing I add, and you guys have added some great points, is I think what they need to figure out, double down on and master, is their marketing plan. So I, the, one of the things that I was picking up from the research was they didn't necessarily market aggressively enough when there was no competition in the market. Now you have other competitors in the space. What is your message? Mm. Is it niche customers that live in penthouse suites that are in rich homes, or are you actually trying to cater for more people? So I think, I think um, for me, it would be you need to you need to really heavily invest in your marketing. The product is there. More people need to understand it. Um, and so that they can actually buy into the brand and the movement. I mean, one day we should all actually buy Pelotons and expense it to the Take Flight Podcast bank, <laughs> bank account. <laughs> what I would say is, in terms of, I think Foley, as he, he got over, he got he got overexcited, and mm -hmm. I think he's mm -hmm. quite mm -hmm. an ostentatious character to the fact that on one of the calls he said this can be one of the first, you know, one of the few one trillion companies in the next fifteen years. <laughs> the shareholders told him don't say that again they they said don't say that again just like keep your mouth shut and i think at the beginning before peloton really took off he he went to soul cycle and he went to flywheels uh classes and neither of them were interested so soul cycle is like a spin class mm -hmm. where they do sort of peloton in, in person and mm -hmm. he also went to 400 institutional investors mm. um which he taught during the first peloton's first three years and no one was really interested in this product. No one really saw the vision. So when he finally hacked together a bit of money uh, for a bike for a crowdfunding campaign in 2013 on Kickstarter, only 178 people backed this, and most of them were friends. <laughs> so it took a thousand. It took thousands of pitches for him to to angel investors to raise 10 million needed to produce Peloton's first bikes and to demonstrate them in an upscale New Jersey mall. And but once people experienced that vision, it Peloton took off and by 2019 it was making you know almost 1 billion in annual revenue and I think he got because he saw the vision of course he bought into it but because of the challenges he faced early on he thought uh, he's, he got really excited about the growth and the explosive growth that Peloton had even shareholders were quite annoyed the fact that you know buying a 55 million dollar home in upstate New York and how he's spending money you know reckless it's like Oh, is that this what guy done? was out of yeah, out of control. Um, so you know, I think people started to question, you know, his what he was doing in his private life and his spending with mm. you know, the success of Peloton. But similar to what Olu said, I think with their hardware, with Peloton that drill bike and the treadmill, where it's got the inbuilt screen, 
when you allow other third-party applications, if you allow something like Apple, who announced their Fitness Plus what, two years ago, allow mm -hmm. that integra to integrate on Peloton, allow other apps to integrate onto Peloton, I think you can see maybe more people using it. But they're also doing a strategy, which actually today, coincidentally, from one of my insurers, I got a notification to say, if you buy a Peloton bike, you can actually get, um, what's it called, uh, rewarded on a monthly basis, depending on how many times you uh, work out or do a class. So that can actually help drive revenue because I think most people now, similar to the, the iPhone analogy, when it first came out, it wasn't the thousand pound price point it is now. But let's just say it's a thousand pounds at the beginning. People don't necessarily want to fork out a thousand pounds to buy a phone. People wouldn't mind going through a contract route to say, okay, I'm going to go with Vodafone. I'm going to pay monthly for it. So rather than me saying, okay, I'm, I've got two thousand two and a half thousand pounds to spend on a bike how about if i go with my insurer where i can pay monthly for the bike i can get rewarded depending mm -hmm. on how many times i use it that could also help their the, the sales and sustained growth over a long period of time i think they've done the right thing to well whether he walked fired or whatever get rid of john foley the need they may need to get rid of him as executive chair but anyway they've got a new ceo who i think might have to win over the shareholders but I think he could do do a good job given his um, track record. But it'll be very interesting to see what sort of model they approach. I think if they consider their their product to be premium, they need to stay away from doing sales. When have you ever seen Apple do a sale? You haven't. The price stays the same from January to December. You might get gifts. <laughs> unless, you unless, unless you get a discount from, goes up. from certain yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, Shout yeah, out yeah. to those yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you get a discount from like, friends of friends or someone who works there. Nothing, but the fact is, Apple believe in their product. The price point stays the same. It only goes up. It never comes down. <laughs> so Peloton need to be consistent with their price point. Find a price that works well, believe your product, and stick to it. Just one last yeah. reflection as, as I was listening to you speak, Daniel. You know what's interesting? His downfall could have literally been not knowing how to hire properly and put the right people around him. Mm -hmm. Because from what he's done up to now, to where he's got the business, he's done incredibly well. Since 2012, I mean, but he no, himself... because they're actually worse off now than they were pre-pandemic. <laughs> no, but in terms no, of, I mean, like, like from, from idea... Because from of idea, the expenses, yeah. ...product yeah. and selling, okay. I think uh, his ability to keep going, his ability to pitch so, so many times and not receive any funding and eventually get the funding and get it to this stage. So he himself has that tenacity to, to see it over the line. But then I think it sounds like he wasn't a good picker right with the team he has around him because if he had if he had some other guys around him that necessarily weren't so much family and friends they could have perhaps said pay attention to demand right um think about inflation we've got you know supply chain issues coming up and all of the challenges that we've mentioned so it's um yeah it's a, it's a, no, it's a, it's a you, you, you make a good point you make a good point because he, he did build a good product it did have rapid growth thanks to the pandemic or, or not there was still growth and i think also from an investor point of view, if I was an investor and I see 400% growth and I start to see it's decline or fall, you're kind of being selfish because you've been quite, mm. you've been successful because of the pandemic. And mm. because it's falling, you're thinking, well, I want to see sustained growth. I want to see 400X. I want to see that year on year. So I think from an investor point of view, you have to also really think objectively, okay, it's your money, but really and truly, was this growth sustainable? Uh, just another uh, point. Uh, Ray Dalio has this incredible question to reflect on. We don't on. do plugs on this podcast unless they're paid. No, it's not. <laughs> Shout out Ray Dalio. He's paying us. <laughs> this, this, um, the CEO, John, he was on the, he was, 
he, one of the questions he could have asked himself is, how do I know I'm right? Right. And that literally, one of the things I'm actually taking back, taking from this as well is knowing, knowing, ha, understanding how to have the right people around you to make those decisions collectively. I almost, I almost start to wonder, was he a good listener? Right. Or was he just pretty much tunnel vision in what he wanted to achieve? Those small tweaks from a people standpoint could have changed a lot. He could have still perhaps been in a position today. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you're bullish on your product, which you should be and you believe in it so much, I think the question is, how do you know you're right? And that starts to, um, you can look at things in a different way. Maybe then to, to build, because I, I, it's building really on Pavile's reflections about putting the right people in place. I think when I was looking at this, one thing that came to my mind is he started this business in 2012, 2013. At one stage, this business was worth almost $50 billion. Now it's around the 10 seven to ten billion dollar range from where he started it in 2012 to now even if you take out that 50 billion dollar plus it's a remarkable achievement in itself but even still getting to that stage um reflecting on his early stage where he was talking about for about three to four years every day he would have three to four conversations about raising money imagine doing that for three to four years I get exhausted having three to four conversations about raising money for ACG. So to do that every day yeah, yeah. to make sure the business is just running is crazy. And then still to do all of that after seven years, the business gets to 50 billion and then seven, and then you're fired from the company that you founded, even though he's going to be chair and he's still got substantial shares, et cetera. It's still an amazing lesson. And I think for me, the take home is at, at whichever stage you think you've got the business to, Unless you're intentionally taking a step back, you always need to continue taking yourself on this development journey and ensuring your performance keeps up with how the growth of the company is. And that could mean hiring the right people or the wrong people. But you take a wrong turn at any point, nothing is guaranteed. And if you're not willing to invest all your time and energy to continue improving yourself and the company, then you're better off just stepping back and chilling. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a remarkable journey. I think it'll be a challenging for him but a lot of lessons for a lot of people looking at that if they're looking to start their own venture or maybe going through a similar process now um uh, sure well, i think what you mentioned was so good like but the question is based on our egos how do you know when it's the right time <laughs> but, to take a step back because it happened look at steve jobs right we've seen it where he got fired from his company as well but it's the hardest thing to let go of your baby and look at yourself in the mirror and say Maybe I'm not the right person to take it to the next stage. So I think that's the, it's tough to, is everything you said is completely true. It's just, I, it's, it's a tough thing to say, hey, I'm not good enough or I can't be good enough. Um, let me hire the right person. To but maybe that goes, to, that goes to the, the great question that P raised, the Ray Dalio perspective of how am I right? And then getting mm -hmm. people to challenge you on your assumptions. And that takes a lot of, as you said, you need to put your ego to one side. It's an inside job because other other founders would have got it right. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to even recognize that you need the help. For sure. I think it's fair to say you've heard our views on Peloton, where it went wrong, what it can do to sort of maybe turn this around. Of course, these opinions are all our own. We're no, we're, we are certainly not any, you know, shareholders or investors of Peloton to have any inside scoop. These are certainly our own views. And we certainly look forward to seeing how Peloton We'll turn this around. We believe they might have the right CEO to do this. So we look forward to their journey. Um, and I think this will conclude this week's episode of episode 120. But as always, we hope you found it useful, insightful, and maybe even some knowledge or education that you weren't aware of what's going on with Peloton. So please, if you have any feedback for us, you can find us on Instagram at Take Flight Podcast 
or you can email us at takeflightpodcast at gmail.com. And until next week's Take Flight Takeaway, episode 121, stay safe and stay well. God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah. Fool, we never fly, but